0: Episode 91 of Geek Rex podcast, and we're talking about Avengers Age of Ultron, which we all got to see this weekend. So the entire team is on the podcast. So I'm joined by Hannah. Hello. Cal. Hello. Shane. Hey. And Harper. Hey. Now, Harper and I saw this thing on Tuesday of last week. So we got a jump start on. I don't know, ninety-five percent of America that weren't critics. That's actually quite a large percentage for critics. Let's make it ninety-nine percent of America. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, you know, I I actually went and saw it again on Friday night too. But uh, everybody else got to see it over the weekend, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to kind of talk a little bit about some of the issues surrounding it and some of the controversy that has come up in the past couple of days, especially uh, right around Monday. It seemed to hit pretty heavy. But let's talk about the film first, and there's no reason for me to sum this up. Uh, With $190 million this past weekend taken, chances are you saw this movie already, so I'm not going (laughs) to waste time doing that. Um, I'm just kind of curious what you thought about this long-awaited sequel to one of the top-grossing movies of all time, Joss Whedon's second shot at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, officially. Harper... I'm going to start with you, uh, since you and I saw it together, and I never got quite a great read on what you thought uh, while we were standing there. I know what your wife thinks, but um, I'm curious what you thought about Age of Ultron.
1: I, I walked out of it with, I have a lot more problems with it than I did the first Avengers. I walked out of the first Avengers just feeling, you know, like it was just super fun, and I was ready to see it again. This, I walked out with a lot of I was pointing out a lot of the problems with it, but the actual experience of watching it for the most part, I actually really enjoyed. I thought it was, it was really fun for what it is. You know, it's a Marvel movie. I'm not expecting anything, you know, to expand my mind or anything like that. So for what it was, I thought it was fun. And I think they expanded the, the universe and brought things back together uh, in a way that was a little better than I expected in that sense.
2: My turn? Mm -hmm. All right.
3: Um. (laughs) We can't see who you're looking at, Kyle.
2: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I I was probably more in the negative than positive on this one. Um, I didn't hate it, but it definitely, for me, it it started on a really bad note with the the first scene. The CGI Mm -hmm. just looked so bad. It was so bad that I actually turned to Kyle and I was like, this looks terrible. It was just so cheesy-looking and video game-looking that that got me kind of, you know, set down the wrong path to start with. It really took me aback. And then it kind of ebbed and flowed, got a little better, got a little worse. But I think after being kind of spoiled by the Winter Soldier and how awesome that combat looked and how interesting the story was, I felt a little bit let down by this one. How
3: about you, Shane? I'm probably the only person that had a super strong positive reaction to it, it seems. My first reaction seeing it Thursday night, I... I loved it more than the first one. Um, I saw it again last night, and I'd say I still like it a lot. But I, it's really like I'm almost come to the point where like I can tell you the Marvel cinematic movies I love, I liked a lot, and the ones I didn't like so much. But it's really, I I don't really care anymore. Like for the nitty gritty of which one I liked more than another, but I would definitely put this in the I liked it a lot. I will say I'm kind of like Harper. There were this one more than the first one. I came out with a lot more nitpicks. And really it was more questions than anything, and it seems uh, initially, at least in the first kind of few articles that came out on like Friday and Saturday, a lot of my questions got answered with, well, it got left on the cutting room floor, and I don't know that that's a great answer, because that obviously was not a great answer for Sony's Amazing Spider-Man movies. But yeah, uh, overall I I liked it quite a bit. There's some definitely some problems with it, and obviously we'll get more into that, but uh, in general, I, I liked it quite a bit. Cow.
4: Loved it. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies. I think, like a lot of you, I left not from um, when I first saw it. I left not really entirely sure kind of what just I mean, it wasn't what I expected at all. Yeah. And I was definitely fairly puzzled when I first saw it. And I ended up catching it again over the weekend, and it just really set a lot of my questions. You know, I mean, it definitely has it definitely has its problems, and uh, editing is a big part of that. Mm. But, yeah, I'm a big fan.
3: I will say I feel bad, though, because Hannah was dogging that first scene, and that might actually be my favorite scene in the whole movie. <laughs> the,
2: the opening scene?
3: <laughs> yeah. I got big problems with that, too.
2: Yeah, it just really took me out of it. Like I I was already pumped up and excited to watch. And then it just, it made me remember that it was fake and (laughs) that was really distracting. Um, I know it's super fake, but you know. uh,
3: The only only thing that like looked super fake to me was whenever like Black Widow actually had to touch the Hulk. That was like the only thing that looked fake to me, (laughs) but I guess, I don't know.
0: It had a rendering issue, I, I, I have to say. I mean, like, uh, as in terms of conception, I thought that opening scene was probably the best action scene of the entire film for me. Uh, yeah. It certainly was the most successful conceptually. But... There were some problems with actual character movement, and I don't think really any superhero movie that's a big action spectacle has quite gotten this right yet. But there's always this moment when a character moves into an inhuman actions action beat, they end up looking like a rubber band Mm -hmm. a little bit, and this was especially true with both you know with Thor. Uh, As soon as Thor was jumping into Mjolnir, uh, flying territory it was looking like a weird mix of like bad Spider-Man CGI and Poochie from the Simpsons where he just kind of disappears (laughs) off the frame, you know? And there was something about the Hulk's movement too. And I noticed this the second time I watched it, it looked like he was on ice skates the way he was moving. And I, I I, just felt like it hadn't quite, like it needed another pass on this special effect. It's just effect.
2: like too smooth, too fluid yeah. in the action scenes. Just like too perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is a shame <laughs> because I actually thought the assault on that base was an exciting moment. I mean, yeah. just my thoughts on the film in general. The first time I saw it, I came home about three a.m. and Hannah asked me what I thought, and I my first reaction was, "Yeah, I mean, it's it okay." Uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't really quite have a grasp on what my reaction was because <laughs> there were parts I liked. And then there were some parts I really did not like. And then I saw it again on Friday, and I'm very sad to say I was incredibly bored. And I don't know if it was because of the nonstop assault of action, or if it was because of you know I was just too familiar with it and had seen it too quickly. Uh, in the course of like l- literally like a day and a half later. Yeah, we saw, Thursday, actually, yeah so. saw, so we saw it Thursday. Yeah, so we saw Thursday, not even like 20, like 48 hours really. Yeah, so it, days two. After, so. Yeah, so it kind of, it, that may have been a problem too, but it allowed me an opportunity to sort of zero in on the things I didn't like. And I, I will say on the whole, it, for me, it's one of the least successful Marvel films. Uh, I just think it's kind of an unholy mess of a thing. Kind of, I hate to compare it to Iron Man 2, Um, Because I don't think it's that bad, but it definitely shares problems that we can dig into in depth, but let's, let's focus on the positive first, you know, I like, I like like it because, you know, I, 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 there's just so many negative things I can talk about and I don't want to have that dominate the conversation first or anything. So let's talk about the things we really like about the movie and what it does for like the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, and you know, makes us look forward. If if there's anything we're looking forward to at all in the future, um, I'll circle back to any of you guys, but Harper, if you want to go first or if anybody else has something to chime in, you know,
1: Um, I mean, to me, the biggest pro is I think they managed to combine the world of a whole bunch of different movies that really, Mm. you know, although obviously every Marvel movie is an advertisement for the next one, they do kind of stand on their own in terms of what the actual characters are accomplishing, like what they're doing outside of all this Infinity Gem nonsense. but they managed to bring in this giant cast of characters, not just the actual Avengers, but, you know, Falcon and War Machine. And, um, well, other there's some left off screen that are just kind of talked about, like, uh, you know, Pepper and everything. But, you know, uh, that party scene in, is kind of the, the focal point of what I'm saying is that they were able to put, bring all those things together in a way that was really fun and really reminiscent of the best kind of like, Team up superhero comics and that sort of thing, where the characters just really yep. bounce off each other, even though they're all kind of Joss Whedon, you know, in a different <laughs> costume. The way they all just kind of bounce off each other and having this contest of lifting the hammer and, competing about their girlfriends and you know that that was just really fun to me and that was really successful even more than the first movie i think
3: i I think that party scene shows like what the strength in a superhero sequel can be is that especially for an ensemble is that now that they're already assembled like you just get to see what they're like when they're just sitting around and i think. Most fans really respond positively to that, and really, like, you can have, I mean, this is a movie with a robot with a magic stone in its forehead, but (laughs) them all interacting, them all interacting is what felt the most comic book-like of anything, because, like you said, you see Falcon and War Machine just pop in for a second, and that's totally like a comic book, Mm -hmm. like, they can just pop in for a panel and leave, so...
2: And can we talk about Hawkeye, please? Because, oh my <laughs> gosh, that was the biggest improvement I think he made in, over the last uh, movie. And
3: oh, yeah, you could, tell the best character. you could tell they were trying to make amends, definitely. Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: I think the party scene is is like the highlight of the film for me. One of two highlights um but that that particularly was like Whedon and his element right Mm -hmm. I mean sort of the talky talky chatty chatty kind of wit Stillman side of things that Whedon is such a big fan of and I I kind of wanted more of that actually it's weird like there's an element to Age of Ultron that excites me in that it throws so many ideas at you so quickly like it is I swear, man, it felt like every five minutes there was a new development. I mean, it just never stopped. And if there was like one development you didn't like, don't worry. It's going away because something else (laughs) is taking its place. But at the same time, I felt like I never got a chance to breathe, right? And so when the party scene hits, that's like that moment where it's like, oh, I'm I'm reveling in these characters that I followed since 2008 and, and beyond, you know? And I, I kind of wanted just a little more of that personal moment. And, you know, the the, the, t- the chance of trying to replicate it in the farmhouse didn't quite land no. with me the same way. Yeah, right? I was
2: going to say, it should have happened again in the farmhouse, I bet it's but it, it really didn't. Yeah, everybody was just really kind of going over the weird visions they had and dealing with personal stuff. They didn't really interact that much there.
3: Yeah, um, I, I think... Uh, Like, Iron Man has two lines, like, the whole thing about the kids being agents, and then the whole thing about his pile of wood. That was, like, the only thing that got close to that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right.
4: I mean, it was was a more dramatic counterpoint, uh, because they had just been through all that shit, but I think that it it served a similar function, it just wasn't as fun. (laughs) But it was still the characters sitting around, talking to one another, the one-on-one or you know brief small group scenes that whedon does typically does so well and um yeah the party was a big highlight for me and i suspect my other big highlight is going to be kyle's other big highlight too and a lot of others is it the vision
0: yeah oh yeah oh, sure. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. he's
4: awesome as cheap as some of the special effects looked uh and i i totally agree with you hannah that uh a lot of that opening action scene looked like a video game uh, cutscene. Yeah. Holy shit, the vision looked so much better than I thought he would. <laughs> it, was... it looked
3: better than any of that concept art that was coming out or any of those promotional images.
4: No, it's just, I, I think it's the odd but um, fantastic choice to keep Paul Bettany's eyes like, with very little kind of uh, extra stuff added to them. They were just really wet and... Emotional in a way that I didn't expect. And yeah, just at once everything with the vision killed it for me. Love, I I went way better than I had feared.
2: He was awesome. And I I didn't come into it knowing who that was or, you know, having expectations or what he would look like. But I think he brings a sort of neutral element to the team Mm -hmm. that was really needed. Like when we watched the Justice League, I told Kyle, he reminded me of Martian Manhunter, just kind of this. powerful yet like kind of quiet and neutral toned character, if that makes sense. He also
0: sort of represents an element about the film that I liked a lot that I really wish Whedon had the time or I don't know if Marvel studios had the interest to explore further (laughs) Which is this concept of uh, fragility of humanity in association with the heroes that defend them? I mean, all these people on the Avengers are like these super gods, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like you know, they, they the film constantly reminds you of this fact because of uh, you know, all the people that they they save. They're always you know concerned about civilians, and, and they do it kind of ad nauseum in every battle scene. I guess in response to Man of Steel. Uh, I was about to say that's
3: exactly what that was. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, they, you know, that's it, it is what. That is. But the Ultron in the creation of this vision body
2: it,
0: it, it, there's like there's something about perception of heroes, uh, especially once the Hulk tears up that South African town near Wakanda, I guess. Uh, somewhere off the African coast. They never really tell you where they're at, actually, but we'll just you assume Joe Berg.
3: Yeah, that's where they filmed it. So I think it was supposed to be there. Yeah, we'll
0: we'll call it Joe Berg. Uh, though <laughs> I, I know I know for certain it was never actually named. The when the Hulk goes and tears up the town and the press kind of turns on the Hulk and there's never like this, they never actually call for his arrest, but you know that the Avengers are obviously at issue. There's something about public perception and the damage that these heroes can cause versus their, uh, the people that they're saving, right? People they're avenging per se. And what Vision sort of represented was like this person that people could look up to, a sort of Superman-like figure. And while I'm certainly not in love with the device that eventually brought him to life, the actual concept that he represented I thought was very strong, mm-hmm. and I, I, it was like thematic material that I had never actually seen in one of these superhero movies, barring like you know the wholesale bar you know borrowing of Doctor Manhattan for the for Watchmen.
4: I I would have loved to have seen that developed more because it was so rich. I kind of think this would have been a better movie if it cost about seventy-five million less dollars, <laughs> and it it had more time to focus on things like the vision. I I think that there was a lot of strong thematic work throughout the movie, more so than almost any other Marvel movie. But it is very easy to forget in the midst of you know that that final forty-five minute battle against Ultron, which. I enjoyed significantly more than the battle for Manhattan. I mean, yep, Whedon yep. finally learned how to shoot and edit action to some degree, at least. But, I mean, I'm I'm just more interested in, in the vision and his character and the conflicts that are brought up am- amidst these characters. Yeah.
2: He makes a statement <laughs> towards the end of the movie, too, that I thought was, like, one of the darkest things I've ever seen in this movie, where he's talking to Ultron... And Ultron's basically like, they're totally screwed. And he's like, yeah. Like, he just completely (laughs) agrees. He's like, yeah, but they're, you know, it'll be, it's nice to watch, basically.
3: Because we got to set up the next movie. That's why.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I don't even
4: know if it's that. I
2: mean, they're immortal
4: robot things. They're going to outlive us all. (laughs) uh,
3: I I enjoyed Vision as much as uh, the rest of y'all clearly did. But uh, as Kyle kind of hinted at, the second that mind gem was used to bring him to life, I was like, "Oh great!" So visions just around for as long as he can last before Thanos just goes and pops it off his forehead. So that, that, that was a little disappointing.
0: No, that's almost certainly like the uh, dramatic potential of uh, Infinity War Part One. I mean, that's that's probably set into place to be an issue. Uh, which you know, again, that that actually starts to dig into my negatives. I don't want to get there yet. I don't want to get there yet. Uh, I'm
2: ready. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, but, I mean, but there's there's other there's other positive stuff to talk about in this film. For example uh, Scarlet Witch. <laughs> Scarlet Witch has interesting power set, right? And I think visually that that was a unique addition to the cast. Um I don't think Elizabeth Olsen got a lot to really do mm-hmm. in the film. Um, and there was something about her performance that seemed a little lost to me, though y'all may disagree. Like it, there just wasn't a lot of assertion of character there. And I don't know if that was because it was on the cutting room floor or not. But her power set was fascinating looking. And I kind of wanted more of those weird J-horror moments where yeah. you know, she's showing up behind doors and sneaking out back and, and uh, that <sighs> kind of stuff. where it's like very like weird stop motion kind of effects. I, I wish there was more of that.
1: I think her powers were fascinating if by fascinating you mean they made no sense. <laughs> and she could <laughs> basically the comics too. Well Mark. I know I, I totally know that. Her her powers say, in the comics make no sense too. But <laughs> I mean to introduce the character and then to me like she could basically just do anything and her, her which is in the comics too, granted. But uh <laughs> It was just it wasn't clear to me whether she was, you know, causing visions or making people see what they thought the future would be or seeing like when she looks at Ultron's mind and which I don't know how she's reading a robot's mind for one, but, uh, you know, and that seems like she's seeing a vision of the future. This is like her powers. Well, it's because uh, it was debris.
3: it was the visions because they were it was a synthetic mind. That's why she was able to look at it. Okay,
1: but still, like, what was she seeing? Was that his future or his? She was his, seeing his plan. His I plan. mean, yeah, uh, always, I think
3: it's a mix of telepathy and image making. Like that's what it came off as to me. Yeah.
2: She can also move stuff, right?
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. She's Grey except interesting. <laughs> I know visually visually interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Jingray Grey has similar powers, but yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I can't really define or define define scarlet witch's powers. I mean, this is the same person who well, I mean, no more mutants and the mutants basically stop, you know what I mean? It's, I mean, it,
3: it's it's one of those things that like like a lot of X-Men characters where it started out as one thing and then it just got added onto and onto and onto right. as uh the story needed to, it to. Cuz I think originally her powers are like she can change the odds of something happening is like basically what they started out as being.
1: Yeah, and it then was, it just became
3: magic.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was probability like like this miss me, maybe, and uh, it turns out that that wasn't very exciting for uh, uh, X Men fight scenes. So I think they, they then they bumped it up to she controls all reality, and uh, turns out there's a similar problem with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean they did the best
0: job they could with the character i mean uh i I wasn't completely sold on either this version of quicksilver or scarlet witch but visually they were very interesting the problem is once they lose their magneto parentage they become much less interesting overall
3: i'd say that's a good argument but i what i really liked about their backstory that they were able to do uh i like bringing up again that oh yeah tony stark used to do really shitty things like I really liked it, but I felt like it came like five movies too late to bring up something like that. But I, I still really liked that addition to their origin.
4: See, I, I don't think it was too late. I mean, this literally... Yeah, I this, would agree with that. This whole movie is about the, the, the conflicts and the conflicts of your legacy.
3: I mean, it is, yeah. It's just we haven't talked about Stark Industries as a weapon maker since like 2008,
4: <laughs> so... Yeah, but I mean... Nope. Nope.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, te- I guess technically you can count Captain America. Yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would give you yeah, Iron Man too.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a deep part of his history, right? And and it makes sense that there would be long term ramifications to to the issues surrounding Tony Stark. I, I'll be honest with you. I think one of my flaws in the movie is that they don't... I don't feel like they ever hold him accountable for the things he does, right? No,
2: they definitely don't. <laughs> Do it again! EFT. But but
0: as far as Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch go, it, that actually works, right? Yep. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that little bit of the plot um, just because it has been established before. Just, it seems like everybody from Eastern Europe has an issue with uh, Tony Stark, it seems. But he's not popular over there <laughs> in the former Soviet Republic. But... Yeah, so that's fine, um, but Quicksilver, definitely not as good as x yeah, no. Quicksilver, I don't think. I, it's well, a good thing. Uh,
4: really?
3: I don't think so. No, I, I no much way. love members, yeah. It's I mean, a good thing that uh, Avengers Tower has a fresh stock of Adidas shoes in stock. <laughs> so. and, a, and, a, uh, and a muscle shirt that he can
0: wear that's in the perfect colors, by the way.
2: I'm surprised, based on what I've heard they've cut of his character, that he didn't use, like, axe body spray or something
3: like <laughs> that, too. Yeah, I, I so. will say I liked a lot of, like, kind of Quicksilver's, like, more childlike approach to his abilities as opposed to, which is very in line with kind of their characters because Wanda was always the more serious one because uh one of my favorite moments is when he tries to grab mjolnir while he's running around
0: yeah cal wait hold on so so make, make the case why, why is aaron taylor johnson's version better than evan peter's version
4: because there's a character there i mean <laughs> nothing I mean, the the days of future past one is basically a sentient one one-off set piece and that's it he he has no character I mean, nothing in that movie makes any goddamn sense at all. but sure I will, I will disagree. Also doesn't make any sense at all as a character. I mean, nothing that he does really matters. They could have done it a hundred different ways. They just had an idea for a cool set piece which if you think about it doesn't make any goddamn sense at all, like everything else in the movie. It was neat, but it was hollow. at least there's there's not much to him in Age of Ultron. But there's something to hold on to.
0: I, I He's think my Lord problem is
4: just cool.
0: I think my problem is, is that Aaron Taylor Johnson's an awful actor. Like I know Evan Sorry. Peters is no Oscar winner, but holy shit, Aaron Taylor Johnson has like the charisma of a wall. Um, and Sam I feel like what's that? He's the new Sam Worthington and Joe. Totally. Oh, he is. He, he totally is. I mean, being handsome takes you very far in life, and he is a very handsome guy. But man, he is not a good actor at. And I've seen him in so many movies and it has just been a problem. Anna Karenina, Nowhere Boy. I've had to suffer through many Aaron Taylor Johnson performances and I can't take it
2: anymore. Which I think kind of took away from his ending too. Because, you know, it was hard for me to be all that invested in him. We'd spent 10 minutes with him. I heard there was a lot of his stuff that got cut, which probably would have helped. But it made that ending certainly a little less dramatic for me.
0: What about Ultron? How did we feel about I mean Marvel has takes a lot of um flack for its villains, right do do we feel like Ultron is like an interesting addition to the Rogues gallery or is it just another member of the what is now called the boring Marvel villains club? <laughs>
3: uh, I say he'll definitely be as memorable as Loki, whether he's as strong with fans this far down the line as Loki still is i I kind of doubt it, but. Uh, he, I, I I enjoyed him quite well. I, he's probably has the best dialogue of any Marvel villain ever.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I actually really enjoyed him mostly for the fact that, you know, every robot villain that we get anywhere, whether it be Dr. Who or, you know, whatever is always just like this cold emotionless monotone must destroy all humans because humans are error. you know, and he, and Ultron was had so much more character and personality than that. And was actually really funny. Which you know, and the, and the character is just animated in a way too that it felt it felt like James Spader, which is, you know it's probably pretty accurate because he very well might be an evil robot in real life. but, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought he was fun, and he was a really good counterpoint for Vision, who was, like, more, like, almost the cold, like, although he's obviously, like, the super virtuous character, he's very kind of monotone and more robotic, but looks more, you know, human and has more human qualities on that side of things. So, they were a really interesting counterpoint where neither of them were the typical robotic character that we get in sci-fi most of the time.
2: I think he he seemed promising to me, and I really liked... James Spader what he did with the the voiceover he was creepy and cool but in the previews he was a lot more intimidating and kind of freaky than he ended up being in the film maybe partially because like you and I have talked about like the mouth that they kind of gave him and how human he looked when he was kind of talking with that weird mouth but I also think he made me feel confused like I kept stopping and trying to think of like what had happened so far and what he was doing and why i feel like i still don't completely understand other than just he interpreted the mission as humans should be killed i don't i am not clear about what he was doing at all and i don't think he'll live up to like loki villain fame he was
1: he was like a walking mixed metaphor for me Um, like they try and do this whole thing where he's like a puppet, but that has nothing to do with his plan or anything else in the movie at all to me. And then, and then he never, to me, he never really spells out his plan. Like, you know, although I know I just said, like, I was tired of robots that just explained what they're doing and are super cold and calculating, but we didn't get any kind of explanation. All it would take him like four words to say why he wanted to do what he wanted to do and it seemed dumb to me that the twins didn't realize what he was trying to do. Like there was, to me, his plan was super vague and I had no, I mean, you obviously expect the evil robot's plan is to, you know, destroy the world or whatever, but there's no, you know, there's no reasoning behind it or explanation really.
2: Yeah. And it could have been a cool thing because he obviously inherited his personality right. from Stark basically. And it could have been this like, Tony Stark is a really mixed up person and this represents a side of him that, you know, whatever. I don't know. I just, I had no idea what was going on with him. And a lot of his little like side quests, like where we, we went to that, what was it, like an arms dealer or something? Yeah, like,
0: yeah, Wakanda, yeah. I,
2: I just, I was like, what are we doing? What's going on? I was just really confused.
4: I mean, I I felt like they did spell it out. It was just dumb. <laughs>
3: um, yeah. But that's the,
4: case, that's the case for all of the, like, Loki's plan in Avengers makes no goddamn sense no. for Loki. Like, I'm the god of chaos. I want to run a dictatorship. Like, what? Okay. And who's go- who are you going to rule after you've destroyed the world? Like, it was villainous plans. It turns Finding a reason to destroy the world that doesn't make a character just spout gibberish is, it turns out, possibly impossible. <laughs>
2: That's true, uh, but they kind of imply that there was something going on with him that wasn't understood. Like Stark says, I don't know how we made him because I was I didn't do the thing that created him, basically. He implies like there's something else in the steps that happened. And so I was waiting for that reveal, like maybe it would explain what he is or what he's doing. It never really happened. I assumed it was the
0: power of that mind gem that, that like ended up creating everything that was related to Ultron. Like yeah. once they started playing with magic they didn't understand. <laughs> That's what ended up – you know, they were playing God basically and they took it to the, the – the gem took it to that next logical extreme and that's what created the mindset of Ultron and stuff. I mean it's a MacGuffin, right? But, OK. At, but at the same time, that is why Ultron came into being because of Magic Stone. So
2: the gem made him him. Yeah.
3: The, it's well, why he's – yeah. I don't yeah. think
2: that's fully, fully the case though. I mean they
4: even say his base motivation – to make Earth unable to be invaded is set by Tony, and Ultron just uh, happens to take that in the most literal possible way. No one's going to invade it if there's nothing. But I think that there's also... I mean, they do talk about how, although they don't stick with this because they need that big action set piece, they do talk about how Ultron's plan was to give humans a chance to stop fighting on their own, and only destroy them all if they couldn't do that. Uh, I so thought he, had, he wanted
2: to turn them into robots. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't
4: think I don't that's think what that. is.
3: See, I, this is the problem.
2: I mean, yeah, I don't know.
3: <laughs> well, we can all agree he was going to do something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, that's what the vision part confuses me too, right? I mean, like we we just talked about it was sort of this like the specter of hope, you know, for humanity and sort of like this. The same same reason that like Tony becomes Iron Man, he sort of creates Vision as like his right symbol. right. Cause, like,
3: yeah, because Vision was gonna be him in this movie because he was gonna just put him whole, his whole self in that body, and like then I guess create more human like robots. And I guess that's what he meant by humanity becoming robots. If that's what Hannah got from it, I think that's more what he was trying to go for. And it was just that they were able to stop him. It's it, it's just
0: a, I, I get where both of those points come from, like the idea of security by you know peace through extermination, as they say in the trailers. I get that because that comes from Tony's mindset, the idea of 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 a, a world of peace. Plus. The idea of some symbology behind the actual hero, but those two ideas don't coalesce yeah. to me into like a scheme. Like, like you say, it makes any sense because why? Why bother if you're going to eliminate humanity? Why provide hope at all? And it's just it's two things that don't work together. So that's why that's why I think there's some confusion about what the hell he's doing.
2: I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I,
4: I forgive them for that just because. I'm thinking back on every world-destroying plan I can think of, and none of them make any sense. Like, it's a stupid device that's inherent to this genre because stupid people are, have all the money that get to decide <laughs> what goes into this genre. I,
3: I don't care what his plan was. I just swear if one more goddamn villain in this cinematic universe, won't, his plan ends up being drop something, something big out of the sky. No kidding. Yeah. Well, at least this came up
0: instead of going down, right? It was. A... But it was
2: going to go down. But it was going to
0: go down when it got high enough.
2: <laughs> the plan yeah. was to go down, which they don't need, like, what, things underneath it? Why not just make a bomb? Like, why so elaborate? Like,
3: now I'm just convinced, like, the, the whole, like, climax of Ant-Man is going to be, like, a marble falling down, and that's going <laughs> to kill everybody because it's everybody's so small.
0: Uh, That's that, okay. when you start with such high stakes in your first Avengers movie. It's hard to pull back and do smaller stakes, right? Like everything. I'd say, I'd
3: say even without a giant city floating, like robots are a pretty high stakes. Like it doesn't have to be the same thing. Oh, I agree. I, I agree yeah, totally.
4: totally. Did any of you read that article from? Uh, it's been a couple of years now, where Damon Lindloff explains why all these movies have this ending.
0: No, no. go ahead. Elaborate.
4: Uh, I mean, he basically talks about how, you know, you pitch an action, you pitch some sort of action movie and you want a budget over a certain level. The executives who control that funding basically look at all of the movies that have made that much money and they're like, Mm. "Okay, well, what do these all have in common? The world was about to be destroyed. So you have to rewrite your ending to destroy the world, no matter what it is. If you want this level of budget you have to destroy the world. That's why Winter Soldier ends with that abysmal, um, now we've finally succeeded in our evil plan. Let's start killing everyone. Like, what?
2: Right. (laughs) Why?
4: You won. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, the executives, uh, the executives will not finance a movie that they feel does not have stakes that will speak to the audience.
2: Well, we can talk about the bad stuff now. We've already been doing it. <laughs>
4: well, yeah, I
0: mean, it, it, there's, there, there is a little bit for me that that bothers the hell out of me. Can I can I bring up one point that, that's been sticking with me the whole time? And this is not the Black Widow point, by the way, but I guess it does kind of tie into it just a bit. There's some criticism going around about Age of Ultron that... It feels like... And I asked this question, actually, before I saw the movie. I I wondered if people who only saw the first Avengers film (laughs) could jump into Age of Ultron without having seen any of the other movies in Phase 2. And I got to tell you, I think that is the case. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily, and I don't blame anybody for doing that. But there are points in this film where you feel, if you're like a long-term invested person in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, like it seems like we all are to an extent, right? We're all varying likes of this thing. <laughs> for me, there are character moments that do not feel necessarily as true in Age of Ultron to where we saw these characters leave off in the last film, right, that they were in. So, for example, with Cap, especially, that is a character that post-Winter Soldier had like, created this sort of new sense of distrust in the government a little bit. And he was kind of moving beyond this area of, well, I'm the guy that came out of the ice, you know?
2: And, and this kind of goody two-shoes thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: he, he still had a little bit of that, right? But he was kind of coming into his own as a human in modern day times now. And then I feel like with Age of Ultron, they sort of reset the clock a little bit. And it's like, nope, nope, cheesy old Cap. We're back to it. And Cap it feels lost without a war.
4: And I, I, that
0: bothered the hell out of me. The entire time I was watching this movie, I was thinking, this is not the same Cap I feel like I was watching in Winter Soldier. Iron, you know, with Tony Stark, um, I think you can maybe bend over backwards a little bit to connect Iron Man 3 to his motivations in Age of Ultron, maybe. Um, but there's still a, a certain sense of Well, he was scared of the alien stuff and he was dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. Now he's going to use alien technology to create uh, this surveillance system that's going to protect the world. And – Again, you've got to kind of do some mental backflips to sort of figure out the connection. I feel like, anyway. And Thor, well, fuck it. No one knows what to do with Thor.
4: So <laughs> take your
2: shirt off. That's what we do with Thor. Okay? I mean, am I am I wrong I feel like about this guy?
4: Transported to a strip club there for a second.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: am, I, am I wrong though about character motivations here, or, or do or did you do you guys feel like this is like a natural extension of Phase Two?
1: I feel like you're right with Cap. I noticed that too because he. Captain America has been kind of my favorite character in the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, And I loved him in Avengers. I think that's my favorite thing about the first Avengers movie. And yeah, and here he's just kind of there to make his little cheesy capisms. You know, there's not really anything to him there, which sucks because there's been a whole other movie that's been for a lot of people, the highlight of the whole MCU at this point. A lot of people love that love uh, winter soldier and kind of where that left him. And yeah, they totally did not pick up on that.
4: Yeah. I don't know. Um, Almost all of them felt fairly natural to me. Um, Cap, I'm not 100% sure of, but I also don't think that an Avengers movie is the place for yeah, the yeah. next stage in his character development because then you can't watch Winter Soldier without having to watch Age of I mean, everyone watched Age of Ultron. We, we all know this. Everyone is going to see this. It's going to be beamed into the eyes of fetuses. But I don't think you should have to do it. And so it didn't bother me at all that, I mean, his, his character was set a little bit back. The rest of them felt very, I mean, Tony especially. I mean, his whole thing in Iron Man 3 was wanting to get the fuck out of the suits and out of this fight. He wanted to be done with it. And so after this vision scares him, it doesn't shock me at all that he would immediately turn to a solution that got him out of the suit and out of the fight forever. Really, Cap was the only one I had really any qualms with at all, and even those, I I don't mind.
2: I, I, didn't, I didn't think they were totally off base, but kind of related to that point, I know one of the things Joss Whedon has kind of publicly spoken about with what Marvel wanted versus what he wanted, most of them... I was kind of on Whedon's side, like the Thor and the weird hot tub thing that they made him add. Some of the stuff that didn't work was obviously tacked on, probably to set up another movie or something. But one thing that I know he insisted on that I think was to the film's detriment was having those visions or the fear dreams for all of the characters, because like you said, this really isn't the place for completely fleshing out all of these characters and trying to give everyone that room for like their fear and what they're imagining. It just took up space for me and didn't really go anywhere. Like cap, you know, I guess we get to see Peggy for a second, which was cool. But other than that, I didn't know what that scene was about. You know, it didn't really do anything that the other movies haven't done And it just it took up space in a movie that every minute really counted and they had to cut a lot of important stuff.
4: I I thought those were actually really good character development because we got to see how the different people reacted to them. I mean, Bruce was I mean, we didn't see Bruce's dream, but, you know, we saw the aftermath of that. And the aftermath is really the important
3: part. I I feel like that's almost the one we should have seen. If there, like, besides Tony's, if there was one that we, like, probably should have, I'd say it was his because, I I don't know, like, it's clear, like, it was probably had something to do with all the victims of the Hulk or something like that. But I think that one would have been the most interesting. Well, especially since he doesn't have a series, right? Right. Yeah. Take
2: away Caps and give him one, I guess. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, because, like, Caps...
3: Right. And we're about I, to see Hayley Atwell again in Ant-Man, too. So.
4: I liked Caps, honestly, though, because it showed kind of something about his character that he and Natasha, their greatest fears are in their past. they're They're over yeah. with. And both of them are made more resolute by having conquered them. Whereas Tony and Bruce are destroyed by having because they've never had to face their fears before. And I thought that was, a, that was a good line to draw there between the characters is who among these people can overcome their fear and still function and who among them was broken by it. And without seeing Caps, we don't understand that he's overcome this and is made more resolute in the future. But we've heard this a million times
0: with Cap. I feel like. Yeah,
2: yeah it wasn't anything new for me. I don't I feel mean, like
1: they advanced anything at all. I, I think like, Caps is the could, most it, unnecessary
2: I
0: I, I I mean I get what you're saying, Cal, and I, and maybe if I had never watched the first Avenger and never watched Winter Soldier and didn't lo- like enjoy those movies as much as I did and rewatch them and feel like I understand Steve Rogers' journey, I could see the value of that, and maybe that's exactly the audience they were aiming for. Back to that original point of seeing just the first Avengers and this movie, but. Uh, I've been there already, and it's felt like character regression for Cap to me. But but I, I, your point is taken,
1: for sure.
2: Well, and there's also Thor's, well, which...
0: <laughs> I an advertisement for Thor's.
1: What's his
4: know. fear? An orgy?
2: There was a part, Yeah,
4: that,
1: oh.
2: you know, I don't know. I
3: guess, like, abuse of power was his fear. His fear
4: was that they were all dead because he had left Asgard undefended, but they just turned it into a bullshit commercial for Infinity War
2: basically. Yeah, I, I, I just thought the dreams were problematic because he tried to give, like you said, they can't push these characters forward that much, so I, it was kind of, to me, like, why why do something half-heartedly? Like, why why show this thing about them that's kind of personal, but not really, and not that important to their series overall? I just, I thought that the, the, seri- the movie would have been better served by showing plot stuff that, to me, was missing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like like caps stuff was a little bit of coloring but it's not like he was his his struggle served as central focus of the plot to me whereas you know the hulk and black widow that was all over the plot for example and perhaps that's for the best because they don't have their own movies anymore i can understand why they would focus on black widow and hulk and hawkeye more than any other heroes because they need to mm-hmm. but still it, it does seem like time is being taken for something that could be used to better flesh out the story. And by god, I mean if they if they were going to do anything, I wish they would have restored some of this Thor
1: stuff. Yeah, yes. I mean it just it was nonsense, man. No, the the whole thing where he Suddenly flies off and then you know goes to hang out with Stellan Skarsgård for no apparent reason and then they magically transport to a magic hot tub and then he magically has <laughs> another vision that has nothing you know none of, that whole like five minutes of the movie could not have made less sense it was so it was bizarre good.
4: yeah yep
3: and it was yeah. <laughs> the central thing that created the vision that we all love so much right it was the central it origin. F- Like, it'd be interesting to see, talk to somebody who, like, because, I mean, I know, Hannah, you're not, like, big on, like, the source material or anything, but you at least, like, are around enough through Kyle and all of us that, like, you're at least somewhat familiar with it. I'd be interested to see some of these people who went into it who have only seen these movies, never read a comic book in their life, like, how they reacted to that. Because I I know for sure kids in the auditorium last night when I saw the Avengers again, they had no idea who the fuck Vision was and, like, what was going on there.
2: Shane, I'm pretty much at that level. I had no idea who the Vision was. I had no idea if in the comics, if Thor makes him or what. I I don't know anything. Well, I don't mean
3: even that. I just mean when the Vision showed up, the kids were like, is that Ultron? Like, what's going on?
2: (laughs) Kind of. Not
3: Not necessarily who he is to the comics, but just who he is, period.
2: There was a lot that didn't make sense, but they moved so fast, it was easy to just kind of move on.
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing that people didn't know who someone was for 30 seconds before it was clarified. I don't have the highest faith in the American consumer, but we're not <laughs> fucking idiots. <laughs> like, we can handle not knowing who the vision is for 30 seconds right. until they establish who he is. <laughs>
0: Oh, and I think that, that the mystery around that scene is one of the things that makes it work. You know, like him trying to discover his own humanity, which he discovers pretty damn
2: quick,
3: by
0: the he,
2: way. Mostly. The Thor involvement was totally befuddling to me, oh, though. Oh, lightning
3: strike. Yeah. I <laughs>
2: Why? I, I guess
3: Why they wanted it? their Frankenstein moment. I don't know. And
0: I love a good Frankenstein moment. Don't get me wrong, Shane. We're Penny <laughs> Dreadful fans, too. But I... It, again, it's like Thor comes out of nowhere because they
3: don't know what the hell else to do with Thor. Well, like, um, I thought when Thor showed up, I was like, oh, he's going to take the gym because he knows what's going on. But no, he's just going to bring him to life.
2: That was really weird. And no one was mad at him for doing <laughs> essentially the same. Like, Tony I does the same yeah. thing twice. He, you know, experiments with things beyond his understanding. And the second time, everyone's like, cool.
3: Yeah, nobody, I just nobody had him. any qualms. I I love the thing nobody had any qualms about was you have all these humans here, never heard Infinity Stone in their life. Thor shows up and he goes, hey, this rock in his forehead is like one of six. And they are like more powerful than anything that exists in this universe. Everybody else is (laughs) just like, okay like know, that doesn't that seem dangerous weird? that won't be dangerous for another three years so is
4: that any weirder than anything else that happens in their lives oh I mean, god
3: no no no
4: as hawkeye says they're on a floating city he has arrows none of this makes sense
0: <laughs> i mean isn't every marvel movie don't touch the glowy thing someone's touching the glowy thing uh-oh things are coming <laughs> out of the sky. shouldn't touch that <laughs> i mean even the tv show has has, has, has a glowy thing I mean, uh, of course it does <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so we talked about Thor. Let's let's talk about the romance for a minute. Hulk and Black Widow. They become lovebirds in this film. Is this a romance that works for you guys or is it something that does not? It's certainly a major, major part of the plot. And probably I would argue the big subplot of the entire film. Yeah. If there's a B plot, it's 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 Hulk and Black yeah. Widow.
3: I liked it. I thought it has an interesting like relation to the first one where you have clearly Black Widow is terrified of the Hulk in the first one and has that whole scene like she's the one that has to watch Bruce turn into the Hulk for the first time in that movie. And so I thought it was interesting moving from that in just three years, our time time to uh, presumably three years in their world as well to that point. And that really I, I thought that relationship worked for me. And I think both of the actors in that situation did a great job. It's just that I think more than my problem with the romance is that that's all there was to Black Widow in that movie.
1: I would agree. I don't know if this makes any sense or not, but for whatever reason, it reminded me a little bit of the very short-lived Batman Wonder Woman romance in the Justice League cartoon, which... It was something I loved, something I wish had been pursued more in the comics, but just that it finds these two characters that on the surface doesn't seem like they really would have, you know, necessarily all that much in common and finds this interesting common ground and kind of forces them to explore it, you know, through each other. I thought that was really interesting and they did a good job. And I feel like it was kind of uh, like you said, saying kind of subtly set up in the first movie in a way that, you know, didn't really necessarily saw coming but it was an interesting character progression i will agree i think you're right that there was nothing else to black widow besides that romance and that was a big problem whereas because
3: at least bruce banner got to build stuff in yeah this movie. there was <laughs> there
1: was way more to the hulk in this movie than there was uh, i mean you know he got the biggest maybe the biggest set piece i think my favorite action scene is that that whole middle Hulkbuster and Hulk fight. You know, this big scene and there's a lot of this pathos going on and all this stuff with him. And Black Widow got none of that whatsoever. She had she was far more interesting as a side character in Winter Soldier than she was here. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I heard, uh, even I mean, Hannah was laughing during the
3: Hulkbuster stuff where it's like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep.
2: That's hilarious. Oh, I yeah. loved
3: that fight. That was so <laughs> that fun. That was man. awesome. It, it was fun, but at the same time, I was just like, God, we're only getting this because fans wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs>
2: It was was funny,
4: though. I don't think that's necessarily true, Shane. I I think that that actually, I mean, that actually is a big part of the appeal of Marvel and the Avengers and all of that is that these characters, they aren't kind of static icons uh, like DC characters at their worst. I mean, the big innovation of Marvel is that the characters bickered and had human lives and didn't get along all the time. And uh, this is kind of the natural outcropping of that, as we'll see in a year or whatever, uh, Civil War. I mean, they have ideological differences, yeah. and uh, that, that causes problems. Plus, we that, really did need to see the Hulk doing something awful to sell kind of the, that's true. the the Hulk's fear of himself. You know, I mean, without Hulk movies to that's true highlight that he's a monster— He doesn't seem like a monster in, say, Avengers
2: 1. So going back to the romance, I definitely thought it was terrible. Not even, like, set aside any qualms I have about Black Widow or her parts or whatever. I just thought those two actors had no chemistry with each other. I guess maybe that's something that couldn't have been predicted. But the scene before the super controversial scene that I'm sure we'll talk about, where she walks in and he's getting out of the shower... I, I think that was supposed to be sexy, but it was mostly just really uncomfortable. Like, he was like, oh, <laughs> so we have showered together? And she's like, I don't know. We could have. And he's like, there's no <laughs> hot water. Sorry. And it's, like, super weird and makes me squirmy. It just didn't, it didn't work at all.
0: It's interesting to me because I feel like both Bruce Banner and Natasha, Kant and Romanoff, sort of echo a similar type of archetype in this film as Buffy and Angel from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series, where you know you have this kick-ass female who in Age of Ultron no longer wants to do what she's doing, sort of. I mean, that's kind of what <laughs> she's flying through her dialogue with Bruce. And then you have this you you have a guy who's basically a monster, who is terrified of his potential to be a monster, and there's this conversation about their future together. And it's sort of like Joss kind of, for me, kind of slapped them together in this film in a way that didn't feel supernatural anyway. Like, we never got, you know, Natasha this vampy before, and I'm okay with her displaying her sexuality. That's totally fine. Right. But uh, there's something about the way that that, I don't know if it's the way they played it together or if it's just the way it's written, but uh, I I felt like this was a very forced romance.
2: Well, it was really unclear what stage of the romance they were in to me. I don't know. Like if it was just, they kind of say early on, like, should I run away? Should I not? They imply that this is just, just starting. But then they also talk about running away together in a way that implies like they've been together for a while. I couldn't tell you how many dates they've been on or how long they've been flirting or if they've right. had sex or I guess not, but anything about them. You couldn't tell from the context.
0: They immediately jump in the possibility of kids.
2: Exactly. Know. They talk about kids. So <laughs> probably they're later, but also like they're awkward about showering together. I don't, I don't know where they are. I mean, just flirting. I, I, think I, they're, they're, I, I think they're
4: clearly at the very beginning of their, I mean, they, they repeatedly oh, yeah. state that everyone repeatedly states that they're not dating, that this is a new development, all that. I mean, the running away together thing, I, that's such a spy trope. I mean, I've seen probably 50 spy-related movies or books or something where, you know, the two doomed lovers decide to run away together before they can even really go on a date because there's no other choice for them, but they never make it. I
2: well, mean, that's, that's Casino Royale. Did they talk about having kids in those conversations? Like, no, that was, no, I have no I mean, Okay. I get why
4: Bruce would bring that up, but I think pre-first date is a little early.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: And I don't think he meant it as a whole, like, oh, well, you're going to want to go have kids with me the second we run away. I think he was just saying how that's an example of they wouldn't have a future together.
2: Because the future has to... He doesn't even know she wants kids. They've never talked (laughs) about it clearly. They haven't even kissed. Have they not kissed? Not that I've seen. uh,
3: Presumably when they kiss in that castle, it's the first time they've kissed.
2: It See, is. I read them as having at least kissed before and like, okay, we've, you know, sexually been interested in each other, but are we interested in being together? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell where they were, but the, yeah. And then obviously the scene about the fertility, we probably have to talk about it. Yeah. That was just, that the the film already kind of lost me with Black Widow, even before that. And I know there were limitations to what they could actually do because Scarlett Johansson, the irony, was pregnant during filming. So they probably had more limited time with her. They had to rely on body doubles more. But to me, like, the easiest way I can explain this, because I keep seeing people talk about what this means and was it wrong or was it not wrong, It's to me it's not just that one scene. It was the overall reflection of that character. And, like, when you're a kid and you go watch these movies, you guys probably did this when you were kids. You kind of pick one character and you identify mm-hmm. with them. And for women, Black Widow is basically the only character you can do that with. And I thought in the first Avengers movie, she was super badass. She tricked people. She had all these great lines. And then in this movie, it was like she was someone else completely. I have no idea where she went.
4: See, I, I actually went and watched the Avengers uh, pretty much immediately after seeing Age of Ultron. And I, I saw her, that whole thing, as a very natural outgrowth of everything that we saw from her and every other movie she's been in. I mean, Joss Whedon, clearly, his idea of a super spy, I mean, his idea of what her power is, if she were to have a power, is super manipulation. I mean, she, in Avengers, she repeatedly gets information by playing to whatever stereotype she thinks will appeal to first the gun runner and then Loki mm-hmm. uh, in Iron Man two, she joins. she gets hired by Tony Stark as an underwear model slash personal assistant in Captain America, the winter soldier, Steve says that he wants a honest down home girl. And she kind of shucks up her attitude. Like she plays to whatever she thinks you want. And I think one of the reasons that I liked her romance here is Hulk kind of, or Banner kind of gets that. I mean, one of the first exchanges they have is her telling him how she di- how he did and him saying, you know, Natasha, sometimes exactly what I wanted to hear isn't exactly what I wanted to hear. And that's, to Whedon, that is her power. That is what she does. And I thought a lot of her stuff was kind of playing up to that. She was trying to seduce banner the only way that she the only way that she knew how maybe she was genuinely interested whatever but I'm, it, it, it still felt like the same character we had seen in every other iteration to me
2: so you think that the natasha we saw in this film was her flirting with just like how he he wanted her
4: not even necessarily that i think it was her trying to keep tabs on him if we're being cynical or stay with him, if we aren't.
0: But you recognize that. I mean, Cal, I I know you do, you recognize the sensitivity around this issue, right? Like, I mean, you can understand why some, especially female audience goers are very upset about the way Natasha was portrayed in this film, because what, you know, what, what a lot of female comics fans, superhero fans want based on what I hear, I can never speak for them (laughs) uh, is that, is that they basically want a hero who's treated exactly like the way the boys are exactly. treated. And are as kick-ass as Captain America and Thor and have their own movie and don't fall into the sort of tropes of, well, I just want to be a mother or I just want to, you know, have a boyfriend or whatever it is that she, even if she was faking it in this movie, which I think could be a valid read, it's that's one of those things that you have to, like, analyze the movie to see. And a lot of folks don't necessarily put the work into that to find that. So people are upset and I can understand why they would be.
4: I totally get that. And I just personally think that blaming this one movie for like Ike Perlmutter and Kevin Feige's weird obsession with never, ever letting a female superhero movie come out just seems kind of silly. I mean, to me, just seems kind of silly i totally absolutely get that people were hurt i understand why i personally think that natasha should have been should have had a lot more to do i agree a hundred percent on that i just also think like the kind of i guess frustration with the state of superheroines kind of all coalesced here i agree and i'm not a hundred percent sure why i I mean that's just me you know i mean no i
2: think you're right shane and i were talking about this earlier and i told him that exact thing that i think it's not that this was the most egregious offense it's that this was the straw that broke the camel's back i mean this is a studio whose ceo you know in that sony league was writing emails to other ceos about well you know catwoman was awful and uh (laughs) What was the other and she one? was
3: very important to the Batman franchise. Yeah,
2: Supergirl, <laughs> decades ago, that failed. So probably don't do one of these moves. Like, you know the motivations behind this company suck to begin with. But then you've got this person who treats himself as a feminist and talks a lot about this issue. And this is one of the few movies where we actually get to see this character. And then they set her five steps back. I mean, to me, the growth in this film, and I'm not someone who's saying that being a mom is bad or being a wife is bad or right. whatever. We have tons of kick-ass characters who do that. And pretty much any female protagonist I can think of in a movie, Terminator, Kill Bill, Alien, mm-hmm. there's a discussion of them being a mom and a romantic partner at right. some point. So it's not like that. that's an impossibility for me. I don't get that. But when that is your only thing in the movie that's a big problem, especially if they won't give you a movie.
3: I think uh, I think that's a good point and I think uh, the thing is like part of me like it's and maybe it's just because like it's an experience that I can't fully relate to and I'll never be able to fully relate to no matter how much I' more come to fully understand the feelings that go into that. But like my initial read of it is, okay, well, yes, this was a bad thing, that was probably a misstep for Black Widow's character. I agree with Cal, like, I think everything that happens to her in this movie is fine, she just should have had an extra amount of things to do. And my, pro- my thinking is, though, okay, this happened, and this is the way I think Marvel wants us to think, whether that's good or bad, is, okay, this was bad, but in a year the people who made Black Widow a good character back in Winter Soldier are also back in charge of this character in a year. And thank
2: God for that. But, I mean, I I never thought that I would think Joss Whedon was a bad person to be in charge of Black Widow. You know, like, it's true. He's not someone who has a bad history with that to me. I know there's obviously in the controversy now as he quit Twitter because people were raging at him and death threatening him and whatever. Essentially, yeah, right. Or yeah. yeah. But I don't I don't take issue with him in particular. I think what right. happened is this was a movie that had so many hands in it and so many people directing it and adding parts and taking away parts and cutting it up that I think this thing was just not looked at very closely because it had to be rushed, you yep. know, along with everything else. And like I said, she was pregnant while they filmed this movie. Yes. So, yes. you know, maybe they had to silent her. Maybe she had to be captured because putting her in some of those action sequences would have been more difficult or whatever. I get that. But um, it doesn't, it doesn't, ex- none of that excuses the fact that they messed up. Like, I don't think we need to say, no, 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 because it's Joss Whedon, they did a good job. It's okay. I like, he didn't but, do a good job. That's one I thing. I don't think anybody's
3: does. necessarily saying that so much as they're just saying we don't need to attack him over one mistake, I think is what it is.
2: No, I, I agree with that too. Of course, no one should be death threatening Joss Whedon over West, Twitter or whatever. You know, that that's ridiculous and fringe activity. Although, I would argue that any celebrity who's like currently in the news or making headlines. If you look up their name and the words "fuck you," you'll probably find a ton of hits because oh, that's yeah. how Twitter works,
0: you know. Cal, what were you about to say? You were about to say something, I know. Uh,
4: all I was, all I was going to say is that I mean, I don't. When Avengers came out, I saw a lot of people complaining about how Black Widow was too manipulative. When Winter Soldier came out, I saw people complaining that. You know, like she was cool, but she was it was too romantic. You know, they didn't want her to have her. She's never as long as we only have one superheroine, she will not be able to be everything to everyone. There's always going to be a large subset of of fans, especially women who, as Hannah rightfully pointed out, are getting, you know, kind of the short end of the straw here by a pretty considerable, uh, pretty staggering margin. She's going to piss people off as long as there's only one of her.
3: <laughs> I, I think, That's true. And I think that puts an insane amount of pressure on these two women who are writing Captain Marvel, because you have a whole subset of fans that have an idea of what that character's going to be, and if it is not exactly what Kelly Sue DeConnick put on paper, they're going to be pissed off.
4: Monica, Monica Rambeau or GTFO? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'm more on the side that I don't... I don't think it was an awful thing, but I do think, I think you're exactly right, Cal, that the fact that she's more or less the only female character besides some fake Russian speaking magic wielding weirdo, you know, that that we can't have, you know, that eventually there's going to be this point where they're, they feel like they've got a shoehorn in this romance or whatever. And they, well, because there's not a romance in any of these movies that has worked no. so far. And they're, so they're, they're desperately trying to build something in there. Cause they, I, I don't, I mean, maybe they think that's what, what, the female audience wants, which is obviously didn't pan out for them, (laughs) but you know, I didn't think it was terrible, but I think they were forced into a situation maybe because, you know, because she was pregnant and they couldn't put her in on more of the action side, but on the same side of it, Hulk did on the, the uh, exact opposite side of their relationship. There's a lot going on with the Hulk as far that really yeah. progresses his character. That yeah. and and the Hulk is completely CGI the entire time. Like you know that didn't <laughs> that didn't hold them back. You know Mark Ruffalo. You know it had nothing to do with those action sequences. Yeah. And true. yeah, and he was he was uh more one of the more interesting characters in the movie for sure. And her on the other side of it, I got kind of nothing out of it. Um. So I, I definitely think there's there's big problems with it. But again, I think. The problem is really more on a larger scale that, I would have been more okay with the way she was treated in this movie if there were other characters that could have been treated differently or or other movies that we know, you know, that have already come out with female-led characters, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I think we should also talk about the whole sterilization scene because that's where a lot of the kind of uproar, I guess, on Twitter was rooted, potentially. Mm-hmm. Some,
3: some, some some of it. Some of it was with what Iron Man says when he goes to lift the hammer, which I was you like, know, that, see, but that, that felt completely <laughs> in line with his character. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah,
2: I thought that was funny. I didn't think that was a big deal at all. But I I am on the side of people who think the sterilization thing was out of line. And for context, this is the part where Black Widow and Bruce Banner are talking about the fact that, you know, he, he mentions kind of casually that he can't have kids if that's a thing that's important to her. And she explains that as part of her training at the graduation she was sterilized because this will make her a more effective killing machine it reduces the idea of having that complication of children and then she says something to the effect of do you still think you're the only monster on the team and so this is a part a lot of people are upset about and i completely understand why for two reasons one is that banner mentions being infertile almost offhandedly like this is something that doesn't matter to me, but it might matter to you, was the effect that I got from him making that statement. Um, which, again, going back to what Kyle said, this idea of treating men and women equally, you know, it's its casual for him almost, and it's, you know, devastating for her. And I don't see why if, you know, Josh Whedon's a dad, he understands what it's like to have kids, why that's not an emotional moment for him, in particular, too. And then the other issue is just connecting these two ideas I'm sterilized and I'm also a monster in the same breath and speech I think that was a huge mistake I don't think he meant to imply that people who are sterilized or infertile are monsters but I think putting them in that sequence was just a judgment error that created a statement that looked wrong well there
0: was also uh, a cut when they're seeing their nightmares and their nightmares are still flashing before their eyes they they show Bruce as the Hulk, you know, destroying things. Intercut with scenes of Natasha receiving this procedure, not yes. the rest of her training. The rest of her training, killing people. That. Yeah, yeah, and and so instead, it's about the procedure. Yeah, and so it's 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 like this. I know that's not what Joss Whedon meant because it right, can't be
2: right. right? Yeah, but but does he mean that people who don't have kids don't have a moral compass?
3: Uh, I thought, like, I took it as. She's talking about her entire past, and her past is something she's been dealing with since the first Avengers movie. And I felt like the infernal thing was more of an icing on the cake that they created this monster, and then one of the most basic human things, I'm denied because I, it was part of their process of creating monsters.
2: But she blames herself, right? There's a very like personal, like, there's red in my ledger, I have a dark right. past feeling towards everything that she's done. She doesn't view herself, to me anyways, completely as a victim. She views herself as kind of an active participant in these murders and this blood that she spilled, and even in the sterilization, too. She seems to kind of, you know, whether she was brainwashed or not, she seems to kind of take ownership of the fact that she did these things, these things happened. Not to her, but that they happened.
1: I totally understand that read of it. And I I totally get why people are offended because those, and it is an insensitive way to kind of put those two ideas together, even if that's not what he meant. But to me, if she hadn't explained why the the people that kind of trained her and you know created her, if they hadn't explained why they did that, that it was to you know make her into this you know totally insensitive killing machine, that to me is the explains why, you know, that is a monstrous thing to do to somebody. And I, I totally get why that connection is made because they've done this thing to specifically to make her not care about killing people. Right.
2: Which, which by the way, I don't, I don't want to kill people and I don't have a kid. Like I don't need to, <laughs> it to, to know that I shouldn't murder people. That's not, well, I don't think it, it was
3: about all. murdering people. I thought it was about how she was going to, s- she was not gonna feel obligated to do whatever they wanted her to do if she also had the obligation of a child at home.
1: Right. And that's that's totally a real thing. I mean, they do that with with you know CIA agents and that sort of thing. You're they're not gonna have somebody that has any kind of connections. That's not like a far-fetched thing.
4: With with female spy characters, a super duper common trope is actually they have a kid or find out they have a kid and immediately turn on their agency. I mean, it's one of the most common tropes. So if anything, I mean, in a a weird way, he was actually cutting out this really cliche storyline for her to have. (laughs) But I...
2: I'm I'm shaking my head. (laughs)
4: No, no. no, uh, Like I, It's a really clumsy scene. And I think this is me, again, just reading the film... uh, perhaps a little too much, but there's only one Avenger in the entire movie who never once compares himself to a monster, and that's Hawkeye. Every other Avenger explicitly uses that language. A lot of the movie is about how the public sees these people as gods and monsters. They see themselves as, you know, like, what is their legacy? It's destruction so far. And they all refer... Even Steve says this fight is explicitly about whether or not we're the monsters that Ultron believes we are. It's not a very well-written scene, and I think the monster language, as you've all pointed out, is wrongly placed right next to that, even though clearly that was not what he intended. I mean, her scene, her flashback was not just her being sterilized, it was also her killing people and uh, her being betrayed by this mentor figure you know there's a lot going on there that's being ignored for this one line essentially
2: well it was a it was a really stupid choice i think like can you imagine and i'm i'm just going to throw this out there probably raise a lot of eyebrows but can you imagine if instead of talking about how she got sterilized she talked about how she had an abortion like can you imagine how people would have reacted to that placed next to this you know concept of i'm a monster I mean, I know it's not the same thing, but I think it was a mistake to tread into that territory for a male to write his only female character talking about infertility issues and regrets and how not having a kid makes her more of a monster or a more effective killing tool.
0: Well, it's also a bit of a change from comics canon. So Black Widow was born in 1925 in comics well, canon, yes. right? And so. <laughs> She took a, She's ninety. Well, she took a formula. <laughs> she took a formula that kept her young, right? Okay. Uh, not, not dissimilar from Steve Rogers, totally, uh, or Nick Fury, who also has been long lived in Marvel Comics canon. And as a side effect of this formula, that is why she is infertile in the comics. Yeah. So they sort of brought in this element that didn't necessarily have to be there. Unless they felt like they had a compelling reason to do it.
2: Why did she have to talk about kids at all? Why why does it have to be a thing that we need to know how her feelings are on that in a movie where she's not the star? She's one of, like... 20 elements happening on the screen why do we need to know her thoughts on having kids
0: i mean the bottom line is it's a clumsy line right i mean it's it, it is a badly written line it's a
2: badly written line in a storyline that's also badly written to me <laughs> yeah. i mean i don't you know honestly could we not have done anything else with her besides that
0: yeah oh yeah you, you mean her blackberry her storyline story oh, not the, the movie,
2: movie. <laughs> her part in in that
0: that her (laughs)
2: part in that film.
0: Um,
2: And obviously I'm not saying that what she said was anywhere near as controversial as talking about abortion. But my point being that if it's something that's personal to you and it's backed up against that idea of being a monster, not a good idea, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for Joss catching a lot of shit for this, the way he is, because he's got a long history of strong feminist writing and being a supporter of feminist issues, I think he has, like, an entire charity dedicated to that cause that he
3: supports. And well, maybe- and the, just a month ago, he was criticizing Jurassic World for being sexist. Yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so I think the, the the issue is that when people saw
0: this treatment of Black Widow, not just the, the sterilization line, but the storyline where people felt like she was reduced to being the girlfriend, okay? Um, whether that's true or not.
2: And kind of the mom, too, yeah. like the – lullaby and the picking up after the yeah. boys there's
0: just like a sense of disappointment from some fans who are either too young to remember his good work in buffy and firefly on on the female written character side of things or just we're so attached to this idea of joss whedon he stands up for us mm-hmm. kind of thing and when they see this there's like this Drastic disappointment, and as my friend Matt says, it's a bit of a myopic viewpoint—myopic viewpoint—to like say, "Oh, well, fuck Joss Whedon." At this point,
2: but, no, I, it's not like I would never see a movie of his again, right. or I personally am insulted by the man. I just think it was one of several bad decisions in the movie.
0: Right, I'm just—I'm just trying to like concept like compartmentalize why there's such an outrage over just this little bit because people haven't had an
2: expectation and like i said to you before which is unfair it is and it isn't i mean when you're that little girl watching this movie you want to be one of these characters and i feel bad for little girls that want to be black widow in this movie i just don't think it's as good of a character as she could have been or should have been
4: i agree with hannah i mean and i I like Joss Whedon's stuff a lot. I'm a big fan of most of the stuff that he's done, but that doesn't give him a pass when he fucks up. I mean, you know, like he, you know, I mean, he tries to do well and, you know, I mean, he messes up as often as he doesn't, but I get why people are upset. And I I do, I do understand all that. I, I personally kind of feel like it is a misreading of the scene, but I also feel like, that means that the scene was written like shit and that's still on him. (laughs) No matter how I read it, it's on him in the end.
0: Well, I think it's a tone deafness. You know what I mean? It's probably like you've seen this scene 8,000 times and it's the same problem that many filmmakers have when you can't like understand the dialogue of a scene Um, because they've watched this so much and there's and there's probably no one in the editing bay telling them no, or maybe in Marvel's suitcase there is, but it, At first, I was shocked that nobody would watch the scene and think, you know, this is a little problematic. Maybe we should cut this or change it in some way. But I think people were so attached to the material that was in each individual scene that they just never even thought about it.
2: Yeah, I I just think it was overlooked, like you said. But this was not the place to go into fertility issues (laughs) and what it means to be a mom in this film it was just completely out of place here yes
0: I mean, it's the biggest movie of the year till star wars so it's it's <laughs> it, you know
2: where where we could have seen that stuff is in a black widow movie oh, where they amazing. actually had yeah. more than like 30 seconds to explain a giant important messy difficult topic
0: i mean oh my god i would love a black widow movie with julie delpy as the bad guy oh my. it'd be great oh. but, but you I mean, know that's the key I'll, right there
2: Super, Supergirl didn't do that well in 1984, so I think it'd be a really big risk.
3: <laughs> so, all right. Although, let's... to be fair, Catwoman, I can understand them thinking that's risky, but then you look at Catwoman, and that movie boiled down to two women fighting over makeup.
2: No, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. If we use that logic, let's look at Green Lantern. And oh, I,
3: I think that's so entirely fair. The
2: movie again. <laughs>
0: I mean, Catwoman was like 14 years ago or something, man, or 12 years ago. However long there it are was. shitty
2: movies that exist, this yeah.
0: is a oh, definitely. Yeah. They star
2: men and they star women. I
0: mean, it, the superhero movie landscape has changed since 2008. So, I mean,
2: it... Ike
4: Perlmuter is kind of famously misogynistic and racist too. I mean, let's let's not forget that his issue isn't just with Black Widow. I, I think in a in a leaked email well, – I guess I, I shouldn't say without actually having the email in front of me lest we, you know, get sued from one of our, you know, 80 listeners.
2: <laughs> our seven <laughs> listeners, you mean. Hi, John.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we just list them.
4: Hi, guys. I mean, he – but he, yeah, I mean, he is not a good human being and the fact that he has the power to deny – a Black Widow movie means that he's gonna keep doing it.
3: Now, now, wait a minute. You're telling me that a guy, an executive that has ties to Disney, may not be a good person? <laughs> it's the happiest place on earth. That's man. that's blowing my mind as much as Kyle earlier saying a Marvel movie had a MacGuffin in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it,
0: believe me, this movie you you could you could also find issues with how it treats people of color too. We talked I
2: mean, about that too. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I
0: mean, I don't want to dwell on it, but man, I never realized how many black sidekicks the Marvel Universe has <laughs> until they're all lined up in a row. Man.
4: And I, oh, and I, I, myself, I realized I, it, I realized it a couple movies ago, and yeah. I mean, yeah, I thought about it. you have some- a black friend, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, and then I watched it, and I'm like, oh, my God, every single major hero has one. Cap's got one, and Iron Man's got one, Thor's got one, and Heimdall. And I thought to myself, oh, my
3: gosh. It, I mean, it, it, I'm glad that the new Avengers team is a little more diverse, by the way. Uh, uh, yeah, but- I, thought, I was like, it's more diverse than the current Avengers team in the comic is, so. It's I mean, a big step up. It is okay. So let's 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 talk about that because how does this movie set up Phase
0: Three? Do you think it sets it up in an effective way? Like uh, the movies that we have coming up, we've got uh, Ant Man coming up in the summer. You've got Captain. Well, Man- Ant Man's
3: technically well, Phase Two. Yeah, you're
0: right. All right, so Captain America: Civil War, uh, Doctor Strange, Thor: Ragnarok, uh, Black Panther, Captain Marvel. Until we get Spider to Spider Man, and Spider Man, right? Yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes, but. <laughs> <laughs> But so, I mean, does this movie actually like make you excited about what's coming up in phase three? Do you think it sets up if we were
3: if we were going to get a small movie with uh, this new team of Avengers? Yeah, basically, it was like, here's this cool, exciting team. And they're basically going to be cameos in Civil War until you see them just become cannon fodder in Infinity War.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, if I didn't know about Infinity War, I would say Absolutely that I, I really like where these characters are at. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with the new characters they've added, but yeah. knowing that Infinity War, and how can you not know exactly what it's going to be about at this point? I'm not particularly excited about it, now.
4: Yeah, Infinity War, the setup was awful. I liked the setup. I mean, it was actually interesting. Apparently, the script was written before they before Weedon actually knew that, say, Black Panther was going to get a movie, uh, <laughs> things like that. So the Wakanda stuff is literally in there just because that's where Vibranium is. I mean there it wasn't set up. It just happened to be very good uh a very good nod that turned out effectively. But the Infinity War stuff was botched in this movie and I really just wanna hang out with the new Avengers now. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah like I'd love to see like a like a miniseries on Netflix about them for just like four episodes or something like that. That would just be really cool, but no.
2: So, Infinity Wars is different than the Civil War. Yeah,
3: Civil War. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking so about.
0: Civil War is the Captain America movie, right? And then Infinity. That, War, well, they claim it's a it's, Captain America it's movie. Thanos basically. Yeah,
2: is about that comes in 2018 Infinity and 2019. War.
0: It's a two-part thing.
2: Okay. Well, I don't. I don't understand how anything can be more important than saving the world again. Like, is the whole universe at stake? Yes. Okay, obviously, that's where they would go next. Uh, Uh,
3: um, uh, Omnipotence and omnipresence and all that is what you get from having all the Infinity Gems, and so so that in the hands of Thanos.
2: God, basically, so... I mean, this is the
3: movie that will team the Avengers with the Guardians of the Galaxy, basically. Most likely. And probably... They're being way too coy about it. Who
2: knows? So the Civil War is just going to be, like, in between. Yeah. It's just going to be a thing where they spend time fighting and bickering like they've been doing, and then they get back together at the end to fight in the. Well,
3: we don't know in, about in back together. <laughs> I don't know. I,
2: don't. I mean, obviously, if the universe is at stake, they're all going to team up at some point, right?
0: I mean, in the actual Civil War, Cap ends up dead.
3: I mean, right. he gets shot by crossbones. And, mm-hmm. and I don't see why that couldn't be what happens here and have Winter Soldier become Cap by the end of that movie. It
2: depends on if Chris Evans wants to come back or not, probably. Well, he
3: is signed on, but I don't know if he's signed on for both Infinity Wars. I think he might only be signed on for one of them.
2: Well, he was talking about being a director for a while. Remember, he was like, to be done. But then he was like, no, just kidding. I might do – probably they're just going to decide based on what he decides. I mean,
0: it seems like the obvious plot point here would be – Cap dies. Something happens to Thor to keep him out of the Avengers due to Ragnarok, which is like you know. Yeah, the, I
3: think uh, I, I think in Infinity War Part One is going to be your like Winter Soldier, Cap, Ant Man, Doctor Strange, and all of them trying to team up.
2: And then the big guys. And maybe
3: maybe that up. does maybe that does give us our movie with this new team where we get to see Falcon playing a big role and we get to see Scarlet Witch playing a bigger role. Oh, well, Falcon. But, is just- to be there shane come on falcon (laughs) you gonna say hey remember the plot of the last movie and then he'll show up at the end and falcon was there
2: (laughs) so when you ask about setting up Hmm. phase three you're talking about bringing in these lesser characters and making them more important for what's about to happen. that seems to be
3: what their goal is
2: okay
0: yeah i mean that it's it's a guess i mean nobody really really knows right but that seems to be the arc that the classic arc that they may be going on based on what we can surmise about these phase three films.
3: Um, there's only one thing about phase three that matters and that is (laughs) lockjaw. Oh, and in in humans.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, so let me, let me give you my, my biggest gripe about the ending of this film is this shield thing. Okay. (laughs) The fact that I felt like, I don't know, guys. I was watching this thing, and I kind of felt like there must have been a draft that existed of this script where S.H.I.E.L.D. still existed. Because Nick Fury, man, it seemed like he had returned to, like, the old Nick Fury phase with the eye patch, and he had the damn helicarrier and everything else. And I'm not fully convinced that S.H.I.E.L.D. had been... Evaporated While this this film was being I
2: written. thought S.H.I.E.L.D. does exist still Well, Isn't that what the whole show's about? Like, <laughs> show Nobody's
3: matter. watching that show
2: <laughs> uh, Yeah, but He got the helicarrier Which we're gonna see in tomorrow's Or tonight's episode, apparently I
0: mean, technically, at this point There's like three Shields.
3: It
2: exactly feels like. <laughs> I'm S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm S.H.I.E.L.D. Everyone
3: I, I felt stupid, frankly For not having not seeing that coming a mile away That that helicarrier was gonna show up <laughs>
0: I was—I'm
2: just, just annoyed,
0: you know. It feels like they've returned to like the status quo, which I know is comics, right? But oh yeah, it, I mean, I—I I, I liked the the idea that Shield is this thing that can't be trusted, and yeah, even, even though it's Hydra led, no one should have this kind of power. Well, guess what? Now they have the power again. And I guess that's what Civil War is going to be yeah. about. I
2: guess. So Civil War is the only thing I've heard you talking about a lot, and I know what's coming there. And I feel like the ending of this movie made me mad because I knew what was coming in Civil War, which is like the ending of this movie seemed to imply that Iron Man was done, that Hawkeye's done, that like everyone's kind of done. But that can't be the case if they're about to spend another couple of movies battling each other, right? I'm tired of this fake out stuff. It's like if you're retiring, just retire, be done.
4: I mean, Hawkeye could very well be retired from Hawkeying and still, you know, I mean, he knows Cap and Natasha and all them. Like, it's not like they wouldn't talk to him if this happened. So, I mean, he Iron makes,
2: Man. I mean, he had this whole scene where he, like, drives away and he's like, take care of it.
4: Yeah. I mean, he left the Avengers. And that's part of the conflict is he's doing his own thing. I mean, I don't think that he retired forever from, you know, oh, doing no anything. Just from you know being an Avenger,
2: yeah.
0: I just don't know if the conflict was set up as well. I mean, I know <laughs> that there were seeds of it, like in the wood chopping scene, or at least like, they told us those were seeds of it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of like I felt like we were being told this rather than actually seeing it. And by the time of the end of the film, by the last film, they were practically hugging.
2: Yeah, and, they were. Yeah. Yeah. Terms. yeah.
0: So I just I didn't quite feel the Empire Strikes Backness. Of this movie, where I feel like I should have, like this, this felt like it needed a darker turn at the end.
3: Yeah, I
2: mean, the only thing they really tried to do was Hulk went away. Yeah, but you know he's coming back too. And good it's lord! All...
3: Every episode of the TV show ended with him running away. So I mean,
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was a real missed
2: opportunity
4: not to throw that Hulk theme totally. song in as he was <laughs> sitting there in the little in the little Quinjet. I totally agree. <laughs> They've used it before. I don't know why they didn't. Yeah, vote. they used it in
0: the Incredible Hulk, yeah.
2: <laughs> Wait, what did they use?
0: The the, the Hulk television theme.
2: Piano. Oh. Uh, Sad Hulk music. <laughs> there was apparently some big part of the ending to do with Hulk that they cut out and that they're maybe saving for another movie, I read.
1: He oh. realized his hands were too big to drive the jet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he crashes.
4: <laughs> there, there, there are two different things there. One is there was a big action scene, I think, like, the climax was going to be built around something involving the Hulk, and they realized they just didn't have the time to do it. And so they scrapped it but refused to say what it is because Whedon said that they could use the idea for something else if they wanted. And then there was the idea that they didn't make clear if Hulk, like what, where he went or, you know, I mean, initially he was uh, potentially going to be going into space, And then that idea got nixed, but they had already had him flying away. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I get the impression that James Gunn does not want the Hulk in his Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, God,
3: no. (laughs) The dude barely seems to want Thanos in that movie, so. Yeah.
2: I don't think Hulk wants to be in those movies. He looks so bored all the time. I mean, he's, like, been the
3: best champion of these movies amongst all these like, I will say, yeah, one one quick positive about that movie. I love the more ape-like design of the Hulk in this movie. Well, I mean, he continues to look more and more like Mark Ruffalo, which yes. is good. Is it still Lou Ferrigno doing the roars though? I guess maybe. I, don't I know, know it wasn't the first Avengers, so probably.
0: I mean, they they can't you know Lou's Lu, Lu, involved with the Hulk whenever the Hulk shows up, so it's that's probably the the likely scenario. But I don't know. I mean, I'm. I'm I'm excited about Civil War because I liked what the Russos did last movie. Yep. I'm worried that it's going to be as overstuffed as this thing was. Yeah, because, uh, God, they just added Martin Freeman to this movie in probably uh, a thankless role.
2: Do you think he's just there because Benedict Cumberbatch is in it? <laughs> like no, BFF. Benedict
0: Cumberbatch isn't in Civil War though.
2: <laughs> he's not going to show up. No,
0: yeah, he's in Doctor Strange. Yeah, he's Doctor Strange.
2: Do you really he, think he's randomly
4: not sure throw him at all. in? What's that, Cal? Oh, no, I, I was agreeing with Anna. Do you really think he's not
3: just going to show up? I don't know. When you got Spider-Man and all these new Avengers showing up. I don't know. It's and Black Panther. Things,
2: Maybe he'll be the weird credits thing.
3: Maybe. I mean, I'm I sure. think that's possible. I think that's probably most likely. I mean, there. I
0: tell you what, there's a great opportunity to team him up with Elizabeth Olsen and do a whole magic thing. Oh, like, yeah. If wanted to, and to you know, make that like make her one of the supporting cast members of Doctor Strange.
3: I would love that. That
1: would be interesting.
3: See, look at that. I should work for Marvel. Uh, and <laughs> but but, if they want to keep it close to the comics, they'll have to make it a love triangle and have vision thrown in there. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> but, which, by the way, I look forward to that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think Paul Bettany is wonderful. I think Elizabeth Olsen can be wonderful when given material to work mm. with.
2: Yeah, they don't have a lot of competition in terms of like best Marvel couples. I think they could probably top the list. The only ones that really had any chemistry were the Pepper and Tony. Oh, sure. so.
0: Well, no, I think I think Peggy and Steve. I mean, oh yes, yes, of on. course.
2: <laughs> well, they didn't really get together. They weren't a couple. They were an almost something. Some unrequited
0: love, yes. which is probably the best thing I got going right now. Yes, um, but hey, you know, maybe maybe in Civil War Natasha will forget about Bruce and embrace Bucky and that'll be because that's a thing in the comics that
2: could be good that's a thing it, in the I comics guess. but I'd prefer Natasha not have another boyfriend in these movies so yeah I don't think she needs one I think they did that didn't work yeah just move on yeah. talking
3: about this universe getting overstuffed I gotta tell you anytime I saw a shot of New York I was like Daredevil's out there somewhere <laughs>
2: <laughs> he is
0: in his really bad costume
3: like he's he's running away throwing a stick into a dumpster somewhere <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah 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 he is uh, <laughs> all right so any closing thoughts on this movie from everybody uh, we'll do a round table here and uh i'll start with ladies first Sorry to put you on the spot, Hannah. Do you have any closing thoughts
1: about Age of Ultron?
2: No, I mean, you've heard it. I think think they Hulk smashed Black Widow's character. I think there was way too much action. All that said, I know I've complained a lot about it. I don't think it was a bad movie. I just think that it could have been a really, really good movie and wasn't.
3: How about you, Shane? A lot of fun, but maybe a bit too much of a cog in the Marvel machine and not enough of its own thing.
2: It had the same
4: problems almost every Marvel movie has with, for me. I mean, almost exactly the same problems. But I found it thematically interesting and a lot of cool design choices made it one of my favorites. Not Winter Soldier good, but still very good.
0: I'll let Harper get the last word. I um, I really wanted to like this a lot. I really was so excited, and I, des- I didn't. And I'm hoping that... You know, Whedon is clearly a shell of a man now because of his experience. And don't
2: feel bad for Whedon. He's got a lot of oh, money. No, I don't feel bad for A lot of him. fans. But he's going to be okay. He's
0: probably shaved about five years off his life um, this movie. Oh, I'm sure. And I I hope the best for Joe and Anthony Russo and their partners, Stephen McFeely and Christopher Marcus. And uh, or did I get them mixed up? Whatever, Marcus and McFeely, whatever the hell their names are. I think you're and, right. Yeah. Okay. And I and hopefully their team up will be able to share this burden. It's clear the second movie is where things break down for these directors. So hopefully uh, the Russos' next film will break that trend. Uh, Harper, your last words, bud.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I had a good time with it. It was fun, despite the fact that I walked out nitpicking. Uh, I think I'm the only person that's only seen it once at this point. uh, (laughs) I only saw it once. So, okay. (laughs) So I I really would like to see it again where I'm not, where I've kind of got all that in the back of my head and I don't have to be watching for that sort of thing, you know, whether consciously I want to or not. And and just kind of enjoy it for what it is and maybe look a little bit deeper for the thematic elements and enjoy it for, for what's there or what isn't there. But I definitely felt like this cemented a serious superhero movie fatigue for me in that I walked out thinking I just don't really care that much anymore. You know, I'll go see them and they're fun. But, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not all that excited about what's coming and I'm not I, I don't necessarily want to be part of the tracking every update about every superhero movie, every 30 seconds crowd That
3: does get exhausting. It's
1: it's extremely exhausting. And it makes me less and less excited about every movie. Every time that happens as the guy that has to write about every single update (laughs) on
0: a number of websites,
1: let me tell you,
0: that's really fucking getting
1: old.
3: Yeah. I I don't envy you at all. I'm glad I, I just do my little comics stuff now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yeah. That's where we'll wrap. And you guys, uh, you you can tell me about Ant-Man. Uh, when it comes out,
1: so.
3: <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll circle back next week. And- I-, I
3: think actually think that's a good idea for a podcast, though. Uh, that when Ant Man comes out, we will just describe the movie in detail to Kyle Please and do. see what he says about it. I can't Like, wait. Not, not our thoughts on it. We're just going to tell him the whole plot of the movie. I cannot wait. <laughs> I will
0: make sure that uh, I have very attentive ears that day. I uh, <laughs> had plenty of caffeine. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you next week.